Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD sergeant. And with me today, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, co-host, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. Welcome back. I know you must have had a blast down in Florida, but uh, I guess we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, I'll tell you something. I mean, I would love to say, oh, well, I'm so happy to be back, but I mean, it was just paradise down there. It was just, I don't know, the folks, you guys listening, if anyone's ever been to Isla Morada, Florida, uh, it's in the second key after Key Largo. And it's just the most, one of the most beautiful places you've ever seen in the world. And I know a lot of you guys have seen um, these pictures that I'm going to show. Uh, I had the great fortune of catching a 72-inch 100 pounds sailfish and that's wow. the, that's it the one we're holding right there and it's such a thrill because when you when you hook them these fish they jump out of the water like it, it's unbelievable and they fight like you would not believe so when they run like when they take a run you can't fight them you got to let them run and you, you let them run and then when they get a little tired then you reel then you let them run again and this took maybe 15 to 20 minutes i fought this fish and wow it's uh it's just an incredible experience. And it's looking at the water down there, I mean, it's just the colors of the water is just just incredible. And it turned out that we had, uh, had, had hired, and unbeknownst to me, one of the best captains in uh, Isla Morada, this guy named Paul Ross. His boat is called Relentless. And it was just an incredible feeling. The next day, we went on a much smaller boat, a center, center console and it was only 32 feet. And you get tossed around like a cork. And my 65-year-old bones were getting the shit beat out of them, you know, <laughs> by those waves. And, like, you know, sometimes you actually go airborne when you're sitting down. And it doesn't feel good when you come back down, you know. You yeah. got to take some of the brunt of the uh, of the wave on your legs, you know. And it's uh, – it's Silly, that, that, uh, that fish that you caught, what was it called again, the 100-pounder? It's a um, – Sailfish? <laughs> Sailfish, sailfish. Okay, is that that thing on the uh, on the end of his nose? Is that like a stinger or something? What is? No, that? it's like a sharp. That's why you got to be careful. It's like a long beak. It's almost like a swordfish. Right. That's it's just, it's just incredible. And I mean, when you see these guys, how they fight and fight for their lives, it's just an incredible, incredible thing. And then coming home, I I went to I, I um. If you ever go to the Keys, I flew into Fort Lauderdale, which is about two hours and 15 minutes from the Keys. Uh, and you rent a car and you drive there. I drove back and my flight, I was there early. I was there at about 2.30 and my flight wasn't until like 5.20. And a companion flight going to LaGuardia, which was supposed to leave at 3, was postponed till 9.20 because of no visibility going in the airport. And I could see all the people going up to the counter pissed off and the people, ladies saying, listen, there's no visibility going into LaGuardia. Would you rather they fly and you die or would you rather them wait for safety reasons? And, you know, everyone, of course, has, you know, I got to work tomorrow. I got to do this. I got, of course you do. But, you know, something we're trying to save your life, you know? Yeah, exactly. People, people don't want to hear that, you know? Anytime a weather-related delay goes on in the airport, I always stay calm because if they're making that call, that's good enough for me. I don't want anybody taking a chance while well, I'm in that uh, that giant uh, tube at uh, you know thirty or forty thousand feet in the air, and uh, God forbid something goes wrong, either going up or coming down. I got my family with me, so I'm with you on that, Billy. You know, it's funny. Even we were, I was flying into Westchester. And the pilot's like 20 minutes away and he goes, folks, I just want to advise everyone. There's almost like zero visibility. Oh, geez. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough to land. <laughs> he says, if we can't land, he goes, I may have to fly around for a while. And I'm like, oh my God, why did you have to tell us this? I don't even want to know, you know? Yeah. And he yeah, goes, all right, wish me luck. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> that's not very encouraging. Right. Yet. I don't want to hear that the pilot needs luck. I want to hear that he has tremendous skill, you know? Yeah, yeah. I worked with a guy uh, in Bay Ridge, uh, Vic Acevedo, that was a pilot. And he was telling me how he was going from – they flew out of a Long Island airport. They flew down Atlantic City. And on the way back, the ceiling was whatever, thousand, like 5,000 feet. And they fly much – you know, it's a small plane like a four-seater. They fly much lower than that. So they thought they were good. And as they were getting close to New York, the 
visibility got lower. The ceiling got lower and lower and lower. And they actually had to land at uh, Kennedy Airport because the ceiling was at like a thousand feet. They couldn't really fly any lower. Uh, so yeah, you got to really be careful with that stuff. You know, uh, instruments help through fog and stuff like that, but there's nothing like having eyes on uh, what you're doing, where you're going to land, you know? Justin Falzon says he, he actually appreciates the candor. I didn't, I didn't want to know that he needed luck. I wanted to know that he had the skill of, uh, Sullenberger, you know, that landed on the Hudson River. <laughs> yeah, Sully. That would that would uh, th- that would make me feel a lot more comfortable if I knew he was at the helm. But uh, oh my god, I guess crazy. they try want to try and be up front with you, and uh, so maybe people don't panic when they see that as they're getting closer to the ground. Because you could look at the uh, you know the instrument that comes up on the screen in front of you, the the height of the plane and stuff. And when you don't see uh, land. And you're at like 5,000 feet. You know that there's heavy fog in between you and the ground. So that's not a good, uh, if you know anything about aviation, that's not a good thing. So You know, Phil, even when I drove home, uh, my GPS rerouted me to a different route because of the fog. Wow. And the route I took was foggy as hell too. And yeah. I was like, wow, if it rerouted me here, I would hate, hate to have seen the route that I usually take home, you know? You, you know, uh, you live upstate and years ago, my brother was in a hosp- hospital upstate when we were kids. I think I was about 11 or 12 years old and my parents and I went up to visit him. And on the way back, we were in such a tremendous dense fog. You literally could only see a couple of feet in front of the car. I think my father had to drive at like 10 miles an hour for a good part of the way home until we got out of the mountain, you know, because the higher up we were, the thicker the fog was. But I, I tell you, talk about being terrified. It was terrifying. It really was. Yeah, it's, uh, I tell you, fog and, uh, you know, you would hope that people that drive um, commensurate with the conditions, you know, and not everyone does that. You see sometimes when it snows and there's ice, these people in these gigantic SUVs still want to do 70, 75 miles an hour. And you're like, dude, you got to slow down to 40 because you're not going to be able to stop. Or if you go into a skid, you know, you're just going to do a, you know, you're going to spin all over the place, but you know, sometimes people don't, uh, even worse, those, uh, tractor trailers, they seem to be like no fear, you know? And uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, if I'm on a highway and, uh, like the New Jersey turnpike, I've noticed, I try to avoid it at all costs, but, uh, when, you know, even in a little bit of rain, it's slick out, they're still doing 85 on that, uh, turnpike and, uh, just gives me an uncomfortable feeling. I know myself, I don't like to go, too high uh, of a speed because I know, you know, I've seen many, many accidents being on the job and you get a blowout at 75 miles an hour, good chance you're going to flip over. So I always try to stay below that uh, rate. You know, uh, you get on the Jersey Turnpike or the Garden State, you know, I'm not talking about in the city, uh, the city highways, you can't go too fast on them because there's a lot of twists and turns, but you get on these straight uh, straight away open uh, roadways, Florida, same thing. You get on that Florida Turnpike. If you're doing 85, people are passing you. So, but you got to take into consideration, God forbid, a mechanical error. You hit, you hit a, a spike in a road or something like that, or you, uh, uh, you know, you uh, experience a blowout. You're going to lose control of that car more than likely and a very good chance you'll flip over. So I, I try to, maybe it's my age, I try to slow down a little bit, especially in rain, snow, any kind of crazy conditions. Well, that's, uh, and people in Florida, crazy drivers. Folks, this is um, Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. And um, if you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube members only with five different levels. And um, we really, uh, you know, we're having fun. I I missed doing the show when I was in Florida. I mean, I did two things outside just to show everyone where I was and and just how beautiful it is in Isla Mirada. So let's get to the, uh, I want to give a quick shout out if you don't mind. I, uh, we, we did Jimmy Calandra's show last week and I went back on and, uh, took a look. I was watching one of his live shows and I just looked at the comments that we got from his show. There's a lot of uh, his listeners are on our channel now and I just want to give a shout out to them. Uh, Same thing with Duty Run, any of the other podcasts that we cross pollinate with. Guys, please uh, keep supporting the the channels that you were originally on, but support us too. We appreciate the thumbs up and uh, we got some great comments, Billy. Really, really nice stuff. Makes you feel good when you read them on Jimmy's page, Jimmy Calandria. Uh, you know, even though uh, 
he did what he did in his life. He straightened it out. Now he's on their, uh, the straight and narrow, as they say, and uh, a lot of uh, support for us on his channel, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Same thing when we were on Sammy the Bull's channel. A lot of people applauded us. Uh, so we cross-pollinate. We hit the other shows, Duty Ron, obviously. And uh, I guess uh, we could all be part of one big, happy uh, YouTube family. Keep giving us those thumbs up, and thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. You know, yesterday I, I got home at about, um, I guess it was about 9 o'clock, 9.15, and I miss St. Patty's Day. And this, you guys got to realize in New York, the parade and the cops that meet at the pier after the parade, this is the first time uh, in two years. The parade was canceled two years in a row. So it was like a huge thing, uh, thing to, for everyone to go to the parade, even though the weather wasn't great. There was inclement weather. But you see all those smiling faces, all these guys that just, you know, people go to the pier, they see people they worked with 20, 30 years ago, and it's just a real great feeling to do that. And I I felt a little bad that I couldn't go. I, I actually wanted to go this year, but I, look, I was away. I'm not complaining, but if I could have been back for that. It would have been a lot of fun. I would have definitely loved to have gone. There's always next year, Billy. And I got to tell you, in the Grimaldi household, we celebrated St. Patty's with a bang. We had, uh, I bought three of these uh, uncured. I got them in Whole Foods, corned beefs, because uh, my <laughs> wife invited her uh, her mom and dad over. And uh, we had my two brother-in-laws over with their kids. So we had like a little uh, party because we, we may be away for Easter and we normally have Easter here. So it was kind of like uh, St. Patty's Day and a little Easter celebration, I guess you could call it. And I picked up a few shepherd's pies uh, from the local uh, Salamaria that we have over there. They made some really good shepherd pies. So we did it up last night. We had a really nice time. And uh, the luck of Irish, everything went great. Bill, you go all out when it comes to food, man. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Well, let's get right to it. Here we have the uh, the smiling Cuomo brothers. and um, Dumb and dumb, might you say? <laughs> Andrew Cuomo, the former governor, is making a little um, waves in regards to possibly running again. And he would either have to run as an independent if he couldn't get the Democratic nomination, which would be tough to do because the current governor, uh, Governor Hockle, she will obviously get the nod, but he could uh, destroy the whole race and run as an independent. And to tell you the truth, I think he, you know, it's crazy, but I think he could still possibly win. Everything he did, all what we consider almost crimes, I mean, the whole nursing home scandal where 15,000 old people died of COVID because he refused to put them in that hospital that Trump put along the river and he put them back in nursing homes and 15,000 old people died, which was a really horrendous decision on his part. The other thing was writing a book, taking a $5.1 million or getting paid $5.1 million for the book and using state employees. That's totally illegal. He was ordered by the state attorney general to return the money. You think he's returned the money? I doubt it. Does the law just apply to small people or does it apply to the bigger people too? You know, Billy, uh, I really hope and pray that they forced him to return that money because those 15 people that, that died, uh, it was unnecessary. Instead of switching gears, uh, there may have been a logical decision made at the time, not knowing what, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this horrible COVID that we went through, uh, not knowing about it, not knowing, uh, how it was going to affect people, but it was clear early on that that was a tremendous mistake and they could have switched gears and they didn't. However, they tried to, uh, never, never admit to making a mistake or not knowing being, uh, uninformed about the situation. They lied about the numbers. They held back the numbers. It was just released in the last day or two. Uh, about the fact that um, the numbers were skewed. But I just want to show something. This was today's post, and you have uh, pictures of the governor. He's at it again. He's already kissing women. That's one of the things that they put in there. And I think that it's a two-page article about him possibly running again. And I think what he's trying to do, I, I'm kind of going to read between the lines a little bit. I don't think he would have a tremendous uh, advantage over Hochul uh, he's really playing the field. He's talking about how he's the one that instituted bail reform. He wants to uh, remove bail reform and maybe, you know, reform it and go back to a bail system. So there he is contradicting himself. Uh, there may be some kind of a play here, reading between the lines a little bit. I think he's trying to leverage someone in the Democratic Party like, listen, if I run, even if I don't get the Democratic 
nomination. I'll run as an independent. That'll offset uh, some of the people voting for me, and it'll split the vote in the Democratic Party, and the Republican might get in. I think that's what his real plan is, because I can't see him getting... He probably has a good shot at getting reelected, but I can't see a him going against, it's obvious that the Democrats put her up. She's, you know, uh, Letitia James, the one that started the investigation on Cuomo, uh, initially said she threw her hat into the ring. She probably had a good shot at being uh, the governor uh, of New York State. Uh, once Holker was in, uh, she was anointed by the Democratic Party, it looks like, and she backed out. So it sounds to me like that's who they're putting forward. They don't want somebody with as much baggage, and, and he's just a complete narcissist. I don't think they want anybody with the problems and the baggage. So they want to put somebody who seems pure and clean and she comes across as that. So I think that's what the real thing is. I don't know, Bill, do you think he really is uh, thinking he's going to get the nomination as the Democrat? I, you know something? I think he has $18 million in his war chest. Yes. So they, he they certainly has 20, enough actually, money. 18, 20, it's a lot of money. Yeah, he certainly, let me just play this from uh, NBC News. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, NBC. This is the most tantalizing question in New York state politics. What is former Governor Andrew Cuomo up to? There's new buzz over whether he's going to run for governor again and try to unseat the woman who replaced him. CBS2 political reporter Marsha Kramer with the story. You could say that Coy has now become Andrew Cuomo's middle name, which rhymes with toy, which is exactly what he's doing right now, toying with the idea of maybe possibly running for governor again, challenging Kathy Hochul in the upcoming June Democratic primary. They broke my heart, but they didn't break my spirit. I want to take the energy that, that could make me bitter and use that energy to make us better. That was Cuomo 10 days ago at a black church in Brooklyn, hinting about a political future in his first public outing since he left the cocoon of shame, resigning as governor in a sexual harassment scandal. At the time, sources close to Cuomo said he was keeping his options open, but a lot has happened since then. A recent poll from Emerson College and The Hill showed Cuomo was four points behind Hochul with likely Democratic primary voters, and he started receiving calls from allies urging him to throw his hat in the ring. Tonight, a source close to Cuomo told CBS too. A number of people have contacted the governor about running, but so far he's given no indication that he's considering it. That statement didn't shut the door on a campaign for a man who in recent weeks has run two TV ads touting his achievements as governor. And then there is the warm reception he received in Brooklyn. I think he should run again. For governor. For governor of the state of New yes, York. Yes. Folks here, not just here in central Brooklyn and the whole Caribbean community, they have a love for Cuomo and they they really wish he didn't resign. And then there is this. He's making another speech tomorrow in the Bronx before a large group of Hispanic clergy. The Reverend Ruben Diaz saying the group is looking forward to hearing from Cuomo about his political future. He certainly seems to have something up his sleeve and a $20 million campaign war chest. In the newsroom, I'm... You know, I, he's going to run. There's no yeah, doubt... There's no doubt in my mind he's going to run. And you know something, if people forget about this and they forgive him when he was not even punished for what he did, there was 10 women that came forward and then said he sexually harassed them. There was, it's not, no, he's not the victim. That's, I guess that's a, a political trick is to pretend you're the victim. And, you know, so people are sympathetic towards you. I mean, four percentage points behind in the governor's race at this point is nothing. It's nothing, you know. And I don't know if, you know, he did probably have to run as an independent. Everyone knows he's a Democrat. But I think I think he could probably win, even though, you know, everyone was saying, why is he not being prosecuted for taking that $5 million to write a book on state time using state employees? Look, they want to prosecute cops for taking a cup of coffee, you know. You know, Billy, it's obvious he's testing the waters. He went to the black community first, and then he's gone off to the uh, Hispanic community. I guess yesterday did a, uh, some kind of an event with uh, a Hispanic group. So he's testing the waters. Uh, four points is not a lot of uh, ground that you have to make up between now and Election Day. Uh, I don't think it's a big uh, hurdle. It's not a big mountain climb. So there is a possibility that he can pull off the Democratic uh, nomination 
Uh, I would imagine that uh, they, they said he's going to call Hochul soft on crime. I don't think there's anybody that was softer on crime uh, than uh, Cuomo was. He released cop killers on parole. He instituted bail reform. So uh, I just hope she's got the fight in her to fight back. You know, she's going to be going up a super uh, going up against a super narcissist. And uh, there's no telling what, uh, you know, what positions he's going to take. I mean, he already reversed himself on bail reform, allegedly. He's talking about that. Uh, he wants to put bail back in. So, uh, yeah, there, there's going to be uh, there might be a real knockdown drag out battle here. And again, like I said, he could be trying to leverage the Democratic Party for some other uh, position somewhere in uh, the United States. Maybe uh uh, I don't know, maybe something in, in the Biden administration, but he's definitely uh, jockeying for p- position. And I don't think we've heard the last of him for sure. Let's get to his brother, uh, Chris Cuomo, who has, has his own problems also. AKA but- Fredo. Fredo, yes. Let's play a little bit. And the reason why, well, it's pretty interesting. So let's talk about it. Jeff Zucker announced his resignation yesterday, saying that as part of the uh, as part of the investigation into Chris Cuomo, it came out he was in a consensual relationship with his closest colleague at CNN, and that he failed to disclose the relationship when it began, even though it's required. That relationship is with Allison Galist, who is the executive vice president. Now, in a statement yesterday, she confirmed the relationship and said she will be staying at CNN. And if you're curious how the network reported this yesterday, here's what they said about it on CNN Newsroom. I just think it's so regrettable how it happened. If if what you're reporting Mm. is true, these are two consenting adults who are both executives. Mm. That that they can't have a private relationship um, feels wrong. Wow. Okay. What yeah. do you think, no, Al? they can't. They're rules and you have to disclose it. And it, honestly, I'm a proponent of the fact that most people do meet their spouse at work. You're together a lot. You probably have a, a similar backstory. You probably have similar goals. You And if you find somebody that you're that compatible with that you think they're attractive, it, it makes sense. But I do understand that these rules are in place because people do take advantage. People do move people up before they're ready because they might have a, a particular relationship with them. So I get it. But I guess I don't understand why they just didn't say it. This all came out during the investigation into former CNN host Chris Cuomo. And some are reporting that Chris was the one who blew up Jeff's secret relationship. This was even brought up by CNN in its own report. Watch. Cuomo was fired in December, and he is not going out quietly. He was fired, and there were reports that he wasn't going to get paid the millions of dollars that were going to be on the remainder of his contract. So as a source uh, said to me earlier today, he was trying to burn the place down. He was going to court trying to burn the place down and claiming that he had incriminating information about Zucker and Gullist. I mean, I don't know if he's trying to burn the place down. I think he's trying to use his leverage. If you feel like you're being fired unfairly for almost like a like almost like a moral cause, he didn't do anything illegal as far as I know, but he definitely broke their rules. He knew that he was going down, but he's like, you guys did stuff, too. And since someone stepped up for him, he's like, OK, well, we're all going to get on this life raft and we're going to get off this boat. And I mean, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. I think it's basically revenge porn for life. work. Right. But I wouldn't want to ruin all your livelihoods because. Because I had a bone to pick with my boss. Maybe I would take it some other direction, yes. but I wouldn't want to burn down y'all's building because you guys all have families. So I don't think that was right either. That? I don't think that's what actually happened. Like, if just to play devil's yeah. advocate, because it's not so much that. It's that he, as Chris Cuomo was stating, that Zucker knew what was going on. And Zucker's like, no, I didn't. If they actually had, and then also in terms of the payout, if there was an agreement made and he let Chris Cuomo go and didn't have his back at all, then he's like, yeah, you are in the breach of our agreement. Right, but what about the collateral damage of all the people that work there? Because their ratings are down. Well, I mean, that could be, are we blaming it all? I mean, they also lost their... You know what? I think all these journalists, what they're missing is a word called ethics. And... You know, they always talk about journalistic ethics. And Chris Cuomo was using his power as an anchor for CNN to intimidate people who were witnesses against his brother. And then when he gets caught and fired, you know, usually in the police department, when someone goes down, you admire the fact if he's a stand-up guy and he goes down, you know, he takes one for the team. How many times have you heard that, Phil, right? Absolutely. He takes one for the team. 
but he's so not a stand-up guy, Chris Cuomo, nor is his brother, Andrew. Andrew, who is the victim of these 10 women that accused him of sexual harassment. And now Chris getting caught in, you know, totally unethical behavior. And then because he gets caught, now he's going to, He's going to rat on everyone else. That's, you know, for lack of a better word, that's what he's doing. Absolutely, Billy. I think that that uh, reporter made a great point that, you know, even in the police department, there's uh, certain protocols and rules that you have to follow. So if two people uh, fall in love, uh, you're supposed to bring it to the attention of management. That's, I think, the point he was trying to make. Now, if you have two people in a radio car, male and female or whatever, and they fall in love and they become an item and they're dating, they're supposed to, uh, you know, go to the commanding officer, let them know. So that way, God forbid, uh, you know, husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend wouldn't be hurt or killed in the line of duty. And there's other reasons it could cause, uh, you know, it, it's a conflict to have people who are working in a, in a radio car uh, or answering calls or, uh, you know, doing police work. And, you know, they, they need to be independent of one another if they're a, a so-called, you know, uh, involved in a, a romance. It's just, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a breach of protocol. So I think that that was the point that that reporter was trying to make. But with regard to Cuomo, he's got this lawsuit. I just want to read um, page six in the Post had something yesterday. Lawyers for the di disgraced newsman and brother of former governor Andrew Cuomo argued that Chris has been damaged in countless ways by being unceremoniously fired late last year. The filing says the amount of damages is based on the lost back pay, bonuses, future earnings, and to the tune of $110 million. What Cuomo says, former CNN boss check Jeff Zucker violating Cuomo's contract by disparaging him. Now, I think that, uh, it, you know, this, uh, this story goes on to say that uh, Cuomo was fired for helping his brother. And it basically says that uh, the people at CNN knew that he was helping his, he was helping his brother, uh, the, the bosses all the way up to, uh, you know, the top at CNN knew about it. So the highest level executives not only knew about Chris Cuomo's involvement in helping his brother, but they also actively assisted Andrew, both through Chris and directly. So I think that there's going to be a, um, a really good case if all of that stuff can be proven that they knew that he was advising his brother. They actually assisted and helped. If those things can be proven, I think he's going to have a great uh, a great lawsuit on his side. And I'm not a proponent of, uh, of Chris Cuomo, but uh, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, the, the little bit that I do know about civil law and, and about law in general, uh, you know, it sounds like he's got a good, uh, a good case. One last thing, as CNN has admitted, network standards were changed in a calculated decision to boost ratings. When those practices were called into question, Chris was made to be the scapegoat. So again, if they could prove those things that they changed protocols and, you know, they violated their own standards uh, of journalistic standards, uh, you know, uh, he's going to have a good shot. And it sounds like uh, the house of cards has fallen in on CNN when you had uh, Jeff Zucker resign and caught up in this other scandal. And, you know, I guess ethically that reporter, that one reporter did make a point that, you know, I wouldn't want to hurt other people, but, uh, you know, he he was uh, sort of tainted in the news business. I, I, very doubtful he's going to get a big job like he had at CNN with a big contract like that. So, again, those are the things that will be weighed out in a civil suit. You know, Phil, one of the things that amazes me is that how these third or fourth parties come out of the woodwork and just absolve these people of things. How did the state attorney general say that what he did with getting the $5 million for the book was illegal and demanded the money back. But to this point, nothing has happened yet. Of course, he has his own attorney fighting it. But if that was illegal, law enforcement has the um, the right and they have the power to seize the funds, you know, and even forfeiture the funds if it's determined to be illegal. And it's just incredible. In fact, it, he was supposed to take a, a collar upstate New York for one of the um, women who said that he he uh, groped her and it was a sexual abuse misdemeanor and all of a sudden it disappeared uh, when does in a misdemeanor collar when does the decision to make that arrest go to the district attorney's office instead of the law enforcement agency that's going to make the arrest have you ever seen that in your career 
No, absolutely not. I think an arrest should be made, bring uh, all the information forward. Now it's on a district attorney's uh, lap if they decide that they don't want to prosecute the case. So uh, law enforcement does their job. We feel that there's enough to make an arrest. They should do it and bring it to the district attorney. If the district attorney, uh, the prosecutor, whatever it is in in that county uh, says, you know what, we don't think there's enough here and they can give their reasons. And now the, the spotlight and the onus is on them. That arrest just totally, totally disappeared. And I would like a a follow-up report on that. Why did it disappear? How did it disappear? Who made the call? What top law enforcement official said, oh, no, we're not going to make an arrest on this? And and then they they actually even had the nerve to say, we don't know if there was enough probable cause. Come on, stop. That is so ridiculous. If if the, the complainant is believable, the complainant is is vetted and there's enough probable cause. You don't need a district attorney to determine probable cause. Police do it every single day out on the street. And it never goes to the district attorney's office to determine whether or not there was enough probable cause. This is why the general public is despised politicians and despised the double, triple standard of people that have power because they don't have the same uh you know, the, the criminal justice system does not treat them the same as the little people. You know, Billy, I think it was either 11, 12, or possibly even 13 women came forward. This isn't like one woman, you know, uh, a he said, she said situation. There's definite corroboration based on, I mean, they have video of some of the incidents that took place. Uh, you have a, uh, one of the state troopers made allegations that was in his security detail. You have all these other people that were uh, in his, uh, you know, w- worked for him or worked under him. And, you know, this is really uh, corroboratable, in my opinion, to go ahead with, I mean, there were, I think there were at least three cases of sex abuse or sexual assault of some sort, uh, improper touching. So all three of those cases that they put forward, uh, you know, they, uh, they all disappeared somehow. I find that a little odd and strange. And I'm sure that of these 11, 12 or 13, whatever it was, women, uh, there's going to be some civil suits uh, for uh, unsafe, you know, uh, sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, you know, creating an unsafe, unhealthy environment. I'm sure that there's going to be lawsuits for that. Where is all of that? I mean, that should be in the public domain, too. I think that we should know what all the details of what's going on in these hearings. Uh, and again, somebody like this who has no integrity uh, was a complete and total failure as the governor of New York State, especially during COVID. We cited that earlier. Uh, you know, uh, how could this man even be in an arena that he could throw his hat in and say, I'm going to run for governor and he's testing the waters. It, it's really ridiculous. It's terrible. And I would really hope that the Democrats, never mind the Republicans, the Democrats should come out and speak out against this guy. He, he's, he's, he's just out of control. Uh, you know, they said that uh, Chris Cuomo wanted to burn the place down, meaning CNN. He wants to burn down the uh, Democratic Party to get back into office. Just saying, you guys are insane. A police agency can lawfully unarrest a suspect without asking the district attorney so they sure as hell can decide not to arrest the uh, suspect. What I'm trying to say to you, just saying, is that the police agency wanted to arrest him. The district attorney denied them the the right to arrest him. They were not going to prosecute it. So I'm just saying that the police had the right and they wanted to arrest Cuomo and they were told not to by a higher authority. So who does that? Who does that? Isn't that putting the cart before the horse? Uh, Yeah. He should have answered for the charges. Why didn't he answer for the charges? I mean, we've made hundreds, maybe thousands of arrests between us or involved in, uh, you know, you, you find somebody, uh, you know, you, even if you get a police report, of course, your desk as a detective, you investigate it. And when you feel that there's probable cause to make an arrest, you do so. Now you bring it to the district attorney's office or you bring it to, uh, whatever the prosecutor is. And, you know, they decide if they're going to prosecute the case. Like I said, that takes the onus off of law enforcement. It puts it on the prosecutor. The prosecutor turns around and says, you know what? We don't think that this is a good case. We don't think there's enough evidence. We're not going to prosecute it. And, you know, the the police department would really place themselves in a predicament if they arrested somebody without probable cause. So I think there was 
quite a, a, a number of uh, areas of probable causes, probable cause in this case. And I agree with you, Billy. I think an arrest should have been made. And, you know, let the district attorney and let the uh, the court system figure out if there's going to be. You know, uh, Phil, uh, let, it, let it play out because now it looks like yeah. he was innocent because no charges were ever preferred, even though they had probable cause. They had a complainant. They had 10, 11 complainants. And it was just all it was all dismissed. It's all going to be a civil matter. And if they refuse to prosecute just because of who he is, it really shows that there's no credibility in the criminal justice system. You know, I want to segue right into the Jesse Smollett case, another case that just shows that the criminal justice system doesn't work. When a guy like this, the district attorney chose not to prosecute him, was totally a fixer, very powerful people called up, and the charge is going to disappear, even though it was 1,000% proved that he lied. Now, the judge, the judge, they appoint a special prosecutor. He gets convicted. And I want to show you the judge sentencing him. And then we're going to get to the what happened just uh, a day ago. The original indictment that was returned by the Cook County State Attorney's Office. There was a quick dismissal that occurred in this case that caused tremendous consternation in the community. And to this day, uh, it's a basis of great confusion and misunderstanding and mistrust. In any event, some things happened uh, after the first dismissal, the uh, only dismissal on the case after the first indictment. People were very upset. One person came forward in particular, and that person, of course, is Sheila O'Brien. Sheila O'Brien is a former retired appellate court justice in the state of Illinois. She came to court as a common citizen without credentials, just, just by herself. She said she had a grievance and she wanted a grievance her. And she thought that uh, the handling of the case by the state's attorney's office in Cook County was so upsetting that she was losing sleep. And, and she explained in her petition all the reasons that she thought that a special prosecutor had to be appointed, not to necessarily indict or do anything in particular, but just to look at this and give it a fresh look because something appeared to be wrong. Case ultimately got assigned to Judge Michael Toomey. And I can say, that among his peers, among his fellow judges, Michael Tuman is considered cream of the crop. He's a long-standing veteran judge, and a judge longer than I've been a judge. He sat in this building for many years. He sat in the appellate court of Illinois. He's the current head of the juvenile justice system. He has is, he is been a long-standing judge who has a reputation for knowledge, integrity, honesty, and always knowing what the right thing to do is. He took this matter under advisement and hearings were conducted. And after all these hearings were conducted and he listened to both sides, he heard from the state attorney of the county, he heard from Ms. O'Brien, he recognized that there was confusion in the public, there was concern that the confidence in the criminal justice system locally here uh, was at risk and may have been damaged and that the case required a second look. Michael Tuman, in his wisdom, sought out the proper, what he thought to be the right person to address this. He identified Dan Webb and the Winston Strong law firm uh, as the people that might be able to take on the task. Dan Webb and Winston Strong agreed to take on the task. And as I already indicated, they did this pro bono, which means they did it for free. I don't know that at the time they signed up for this, that they had, if they had any idea that it was going to be as work intensive as this case has become. This case took several years and we slowed down by COVID a little bit, but the amount of pre-trial <clears throat> motions that were filed. How out of all people in the world did you get to be here, sitting in the courtroom of Chicago at a sentencing hearing, convicted of faking, hoaxing, racial and homophobic hate crimes? How in the world did this happen? Well, there are ironies in this case. And the ironies are many and they are profound. And I'm talking about the testimony I heard under oath from Mr. Smollett, corroborated uh, in large part by the pre-sentence investigation. Mr. Smollett chose to take the witness stand, which of course is his right. He took an oath and got on the witness stand and the first thing he did was to introduce himself to the jury. He wanted the jury to know who he was, where he came from, what he was about. And I heard it on the witness stand, I heard it corroborated today by the witnesses that came and, and testified on his behalf. 
It's no question. Mr. Smollett was born into a mixed race family. His mom is an African-American woman. His dad was a white Jewish man. They had, there were six siblings. And if you can say anything about this family, and we're talking about a very, very tight-knit family, a, a village that, that was always uh, in sync. You know, what I, what I want to get to is that the judge um, sentenced him on this day to 150 days in jail. Not prison, jail. There's a difference between prison and jail. He was going to the Cook County Jail. It was, I think, a, um, a fourth-degree felony. But that doesn't... Uh, Tell the whole story. He damaged the system by lying, made up uh, a hate crime, a, a racial and a sexual hate crime, and purging himself on the stand. And then when his attorneys asked for um, the jail time to be held in abeyance until they could appeal, he said, no, he's going to jail. He did this and he did that. I, I, I didn't want to wait uh, for the long-winded. He, he did a great job, the judge, but... He 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 sent him. He was remanded him. He sent him to jail that day. And guess what? It was reversed. By, how did it get to the appellate division that quickly? First of all, usually it takes time to get to the appellate division. They hear his case and they reverse this judge's decision. On what basis? What basis was it reversed? He, the judge did everything right. He was guilty. How did they reverse the sentence? I, I, I'm baffled by that. Billy, first off, uh, 150 days in jail based on what he did was actually like almost a slap in the wrist. Uh, I think the judge who presided over the case, this is our criminal justice system. We leave it up to judges. That's why they are put in place. They have to have experience as a jurist. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're obviously lawyers. Uh, he sat and watched and presided over this case, and he felt in his heart that Jesse Smollett was guilty of creating a hoax especially not just a hoax, but a racial hoax where, where he claimed that white guys attacked him and claimed uh, MAGA, make America great again, that they were MAGA supporters. So what did he, what he did was he created a hoax and, and it just stoked racial tensions. It could have really uh, made uh, future victims be looked at in a different light. Uh, you know, it, it, it's all around a terrible thing. Now the judge, in sentencing him said, you will go to jail today because uh, the judge felt that that was the appropriate thing to do and the proper thing to do. Now, I'm going to make a comparison here. Martha Stewart was given the same exact sentence, 150 days in jail. She went to jail. I'm sure she had lawyers doing appeals and everything else. She quietly went to jail. It's 150 days in a county jail, like you said, Billy. He put on this show that I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not suicidal. He was actually in solitary confinement, meaning... Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know if it was solitary confinement, but he was in a cell by himself. He didn't have exposure to any other inmates. So again... He needs to man up, take the sentence, go to jail for the 150 days. The The actual time wouldn't even be 150 days. I think it would be about 75 or 80 days is what they calculated that he would uh, wind up actually being incarcerated for. But no, he gets preferential treatment. Like you said, he gets his case to the appellate division in a couple of days. I think he spent five or six days in jail. Uh, you know, when you compare it to... Uh, other cases in the past, it's obviously smells of corruption and smells of uh, preferential treatment. And uh, they walked him out of jail like he was some uh, uh, high security uh, security threat person. He was surrounded by uh, some some guys. I don't know if they were Black Lives Matter who actually says that they still believe that he's innocent. So again, it's it's all theater. And they're putting on a big show. I just feel terrible that the judge who did a great job in this case uh, was overruled. And I think. Uh, the main part of their appeal was is that the appeals process is going to take more than the 150 days to go through the uh, the the uh, different steps that it has to take. So therefore, it was unnecessary for him to stay incarcerated while the appeals process takes place. A lot of times, it's it's one way or the other. During sometimes people are afforded the opportunity to stay out of jail. Uh, during appeals process, and sometimes they aren't. I think this is an egregious case, and I think that the judge had it right by asking him or not say, asking him, ordering him to jail on that day that he was sentenced. Kim Allison, we're living in times that evil is called good and good is called evil. It, it is appalling. Let's pray things turn around soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Lieutenant Pete, good to see you in the chat. Always good. Angela Eng, 
his family is tight with the system, very possible. He also had some very powerful people. Uh, Michelle Obama called, tried to, uh, and initially where he wasn't prosecuted at all, which was another fixer. That district attorney should be really disciplined for no, no prosecution. I mean, I think her name is Kim Fox, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she's the prosecutor, right? That originally he was indicted and she decided to drop all charges. That's when the special prosecutor was put into place. You know, guys, I just want to mention one other thing. We're going to move off of uh, Jesse Smollett. We just voiced our opinion on that. The University of Brockport has uh, booked a speaker coming to the college who claims to be a political prisoner. And his name is Anthony Bottoms. And him and another uh, person, Herman Bell, murdered two cops from the 3-2 precinct. And you murder cops, you should never see the light of day. You should go to prison for the rest of your natural life. But of course, they were paroled. And I don't know specifically if Andrew Cuomo paroled them, but it would seem it must have been him since it was in his time as governor. But I don't want to say it was him if it wasn't him. But this is a meeting that the PBA had when he was paroled. And I, as since then, he's going to speak at the University of Brockport, which is a state university, a SUNY, which we pay our taxes. And I saw um, Edmund Hartnett, who was a chief on the NYPD and the former Yonkers Police Commissioner, wrote a very well-written letter to the president of uh, SUNY Brockport. Let me play a little of this, of the PBA. Ready? Today we hear once again to talk about something that is extremely important to every New York City police officer that pushes radio cars around the city, that stand on footposts in the cold, doing one thing, protecting your rights to live free, speak free, and live without the fear of crime or terrorism. And unfortunately, in cases like this, we have to do this every two years. And we're talking about the parole, the possible parole of cop killers. Men who cold-bloodedly pumped rounds into two hero police officers in 1971, who are responding to the colonial park houses to do one thing, to help an aided case, to help someone that was sick. What they didn't know is that it was a bogus call and there was domestic terrorist waiting to take them off the face of the earth. Every two years, this family has to tell the story again and again to the victim's impact statements to the parole board. They live with this each and every day. And what they do when they go to that board is they tell the story of how their life has changed for the worst without their husband and father. Joseph Piagentini and Waverly Jones were both fathers. Joseph Piagentini and Waverly Jones were husbands. Joseph Piagentini left his two daughters behind who had to grow up without having the guiding hand of their father at all those special times that we all live for. That takes courage. The courage they show every day by rising in the morning and doing what they do gives the courage to men like this and women that wear our uniform to go out and do their job. Why? Because if they can rise in the morning and live with this grief that never goes away, well, we can do the difficult job that we do, knowing that we're walking in the footsteps of two great men, two heroes. Now, these domestic terrorists, as they like to think they are, they think they were fighting for a cause, which they weren't. They were murderers, plain and simple, that laid in, laid in wait and ambushed New York City police officers, plain and simple. For 40 years, 40 years they claimed that they were innocent. Well, we have their parole statements. And their parole statements, in their words, tell a different story where they say, yes, we killed these two hero police officers. Yes, we attempted to assassinate a police sergeant in California. And yes, they're guilty then, and they're guilty now, and no cop killer should ever walk the face of the earth. 
In order to do that, we need your help. We need the public's help. And what we've done is we've set up a website, and the website is very easy to navigate. Go to nycpba.org on the opening page, follow the arrow down to keep cop killers in jail. With one click of the mouse, you can help us keep cop killers off the street. You can pick the individual cases of the death of hero police officers, or you can click one button and give your opinion to keep them all behind bars. All we need is your last name and your zip code, nothing else. When we created this, we hoped, we hoped that the public would respond, and they have in the hundreds of thousands. When you take that two minutes to click that button, click that mouse, a letter goes in each folder of each killer and follows them throughout their time in prison. What that does is ensure that the true story is told. And when that true story is told, there's no living compassionate human, whether a parole commissioner or a citizen standing on the street would say allow them to walk the streets freely. None ever should. With me today here is Diane Piagentini, the widow of Joseph Piagentini, and Joseph's daughter, Mary. No one can show proper respect and tell the story more succinctly than a family member. So it's our honor as New York City police officers for me to turn this podium over to the widow of Joseph Piagentini, Diane Piagentini, as she tells the story of life before and life after the death of Joseph Piagentini. Diane. Every two years, one week before Christmas, I receive a letter from the Department of Corrections that Herman Bell is seeking parole. In May, just before May 21st, I receive another letter also that Anthony Bottom is seeking parole in June. On May 21st, 1971, my husband, Joseph Piacentini, and his partner, Waverly Jones, were gunned down from behind while coming out of the hollow projects after answering a call for help in a domestic dispute. Herman Bell and Anthony Bottom lay in wait to kill two police officers to assassinate them. This was a calculated, premeditated act laced with hate for the blue uniform and the two men who wore it. Waverly was killed instantly, shot in the back of the head as they walked up behind him. Joe died on the sidewalk, pleading for them not to kill him. His last words being, I have a wife and two kids. When it was over, he had 22 bullet holes in his body. Herman Bell picked up, took his revolver out of the holster and also proceeded to shoot him again. He died on the sidewalk on a dark and rainy night in Harlem, doing what he loved, being a good, caring police officer. So you guys get in the point, right? These are these are the two political prisoners that uh, assassinated these. Uh, by the way, the two officers were from the three-two precinct in Harlem, the precinct where uh, Mora, uh, the other two three-two Rivera and Mora, Mora and Rivera were just gunned down. And so this stings, especially for uh, alumni of the 3-2 precinct. And the fact that they're going to go speak at a state university that we pay our taxes to keep that university open is just it's it's just outrageous. And, you know, these politicians that parole these cop killers, it's unbelievable. Like Cuomo's acting like he's tough on crime. I think he's paroled more cop killers than any other govern, governor in the history of New York State. Billy, I think Patty Lynch got it right. There's no way that when you execute police officers, and that was an execution, that wasn't something they got caught and they, whatever, they lured those police officers to their death and the guy was begging for his life saying, I have a wife and children, and they callously pumped bullets into him until they were no longer alive. And then they took his own gun and shot him with his own gun. It's disgusting. It's immoral. And I think Patty Lynch got it right. They should never walk free on this earth while they are alive. It's disgusting. And any uh, uh, college or any university that wants to have them to speak, I think that they're doing a disservice to the people that they 
try to teach their students, their, their, uh, their uh, staff. It's disgusting. And they're doing a disservice to the people of the state and they're doing a disservice to the people of the country. It's disgusting. These guys do not belong anywhere, but in a jail cell. 100%. Phil, I'm just going to have you read the, um, the Joe Murray ad. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. You know, folks, these are uh, upsetting uh, times for police officers in this city. You know, the two officers, uh, Rivera and Mora, that were basically executed in the 3-2 precinct. And then to have these two paroled cop killers who also killed in 1971, two cops from the 3-2 precinct. It's just you shake your head as to, as to why. And then when society feels it's okay to have them act like they're political prisoners when they're really just stone cold killers is really disheartening and sickening, you know, and it's uh, anyone that wears that badge, carries that gun, you know, drives in a radio car. They understand what I'm talking about. Police officers have a different view of the world than many people could because of what we have seen, you know, and this is just a very sad situation, but I just thought I had to bring it to everyone's attention in case you haven't heard about it. And, you know, SUNY is standing, they're standing resolute with their decision to allow him to speak. You know, if you're going to allow this guy to speak, why don't you have someone that rebuts who he actually is? Let someone from the other side come in and say, no, you're not a political prisoner. You're a stone cold killer, you know, but I don't think they want true dialogue. I think they want to push this left wing agenda, which is really sad. You know, Billy, I just hope that everybody that listens to our show, all of our subscribers, people who aren't subscribed but watch, go on that site, uh, click on it. It's two things you got to put in, your zip code and your last name, and it will definitely help. It's it's basically a petition. Uh, you know, let, let, let's try and stop this nonsense. I mean, you cannot allow cop killers to be walking the streets. And uh, Patty Lynch mentioned during their parole hearings, they admitted that they gunned down these two officers. So, I mean, what more do you need to say, you know, enough is enough already. You know, we, we can't have this. We're showing that you can kill a cop and then be freed and, and, and be, uh, uh, you know, lauded as a speaker in a college someplace. Come on. It's making me nauseous just thinking about it. So anybody that's uh, listening, any of our subscribers go onto that, uh, onto that website and click on it and uh, you'll be supporting your police and you'll be supporting us. And we really appreciate it. Well, folks, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Um, uh, Tuesday night, we have a pretty interesting guest and I'm going to show you his book. It's called storefront sting. And he's uh, an ATF agent who um, was an undercover. And you, you can see, he looks like a pretty, pretty scary guy. He looks like a biker. And those other two guys in this picture are also ATF agents. And his name is Lou Veloz, and he's going to come on the show Tuesday night and talk about his life in the ATF as an undercover. And I think I read the book. It should be really interesting. You know, uh, every time uh, we have a guest on that wrote a book, I, I'm the one who has to read these books, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, re I'm reading as many books as I possibly can, but uh, it's uh, it, it's unbelievable. Um you know, should be an interesting show, Billy. Obviously, undercover work is probably one of the most dangerous, difficult uh, jobs that you can have in law enforcement. And uh, I, I guess based on uh, what you read, uh, we should have a really interesting show with him. I'm looking forward to that myself. Uh, undercover work is obviously very intriguing, interesting, and as I said earlier, dangerous. And guys, we had the king of all undercovers uh, on like three different times, Joe Pistone, a.k.a. Donnie Brasco, Brasco. from the movie. <laughs> and he's he's the best. He's the dean of all undercovers that ever worked undercover in this country. And uh, we were privileged to have him on three times. You know, you know I love about his, real quick about uh, uh, Joe Pistone. I love his demeanor. He's so like level, you know. He doesn't up, down. He's very, very smooth. And uh, I'm sure that's how he 
was when he was in his undercover life, you know. He, That's uh, why he was successful. Man. Yeah, he has exactly. That exactly. Even Keel, I could never be an undercover. I'm too, you know, too excitable, too type A. I don't have yeah. that like, ooh, you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, what? <laughs> I, I give myself up too much, you know. I'd be like, uh, I, I remember one time I was working in anti-crime and I was following these guys who were doing a front break and I couldn't get a good eyeball on him. So I walked by him and the guy says, Hey, officer. And I, oh. I did the little dip, you know, and I was like, Oh, you know, you know a front you gotta- break just for everybody that doesn't know. That's when a, a, a commercial location, like a storefront, they're breaking in through the front. Is it, that's basically what you were yeah, saying. They, they used to use the caps from the uh, fire hydrants and they would throw it right through the window. Yeah. Break the plate glass window and then just go in and, and yeah. fleece the place. And we, they we, had the cap in their hand. Yeah. We, we had, my li- we, we had uh, uh, burglars that uh, would be a bunch of kids and you know how the metal roll down gates come down. They would come and they would hang out in front of location. They'd be bopping. And all of a sudden they'd all just lean down and lift the gate. And one guy would be behind him. He'd slip in and then he'd go break the window and get in. And they'd be hanging out with a boom box and, you know, we'd be watching and then we'd wait for them to come out and then, on the bracelets made a few of those yeah folks it's uh really good to be back home to do these shows for you guys i missed uh doing it with phil and coming up we're coming up with some uh, uh new guests some exciting guests and uh we just want to thank you guys all for your support and uh have a safe day and thank you today for listening stay safe everyone and looking forward to those next shows that we got coming up give us the thumbs up <laughs> So just ain't enough